Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. This is one of the stories in our Bible that just shocks me that it's in like every children's Bible that's ever been printed. It's a pretty terrifying story, if you think about it. I remember growing up um, on the hallway and uh, at the little congregational church that I went to up in Rhode Island, there was like a mural of this scene with Noah standing at the base of a long ramp going into an ark, looking an awful lot like Santa Claus, sort of, you know, the big fluffy white beard, standing, uh, looking out over this sea of animals, walking two by two up onto the ark. And as a kid, I remember reading or hearing this story from my teachers and my mentors and all the people who loved me so dearly, who would read this story as though it were like just a really cute story about animals coming up onto a boat. Did y'all have this experience too? And it was really disorienting for me when I actually read the book as it exists in our Bible for the first time. And it was one of the first times that I read through the Bible and I had a lot of questions come up where I felt like I had been told only part of a story and not the totality of a story. And it made me really uncomfortable because it's hard to read a story about God wiping out all of the life on the earth, save one family and two by two of every animal, and not imagine what must have happened to the rest of those lives. Did anybody else have this experience reading these stories? Yeah. The Bible is hard. It is, and this is one of the passages that makes the Bible particularly hard. There are whole books written about this reality now. There are books on what are called the texts texts of terror, the little moments that terrify us in the Bible. Some of those passages are about uh, like terrible judgments coming from God, and some of them are just about terrible destruction that is uh, described as being because of the wrath of God. But what I find fundamentally um, important in reading this. This story is really interesting for a lot of reasons. One, this is the first time in the Bible where God is described as having an emotion. He's well pleased with creation, but that's different than what shows up here. Does anybody want to guess what that emotion is just before the destruction in the story of Noah? Mm, disappointment. Yeah. I had always thought it was anger, just in the way that I had read the story. But in Genesis, God is described as being sad, grieving, not angry. This, Whatever happens in this story, which we're going to talk about, isn't about God's anger isn't about some righteous need to wipe all of life off of earth. It's not 
uh, out of this like raw, seething uh, anger or hatred towards humanity that uh, destruction comes. It comes first from sadness. And so we need to ask, okay, why? Why is God sad? And that is actually described for us in the story. And Dan read it for us, but just to reiterate it, God is sad because he sees that humanity is wholly devoted to its own destruction. They're killing one another. They're killing creation itself, destroying all of life out of their need for power to hold their own righteous indignation over others. It's as if the, the, the realities of Cain's anger against Abel have become so pervasive within all of humanity that the only thing that seems to define this generation is hatred and loathing and violence. And so that is the moment that God steps into the story. We see it. Descendants of Cain, they become obsessed with this violence. And then we see even more that the uh, sons of God are uh, having children with the daughters of men, and that's creating even more power dynamics and the capacity for more and more violence. And God steps into this absolute chaos and grieves. And this is where it's important, I think, to go all the way back to the beginning. The beginning of the book of Genesis. Do you remember what creation comes from? Absolute chaos. God steps into a moment of nothing but disorder. All that exists is the teeming waters of chaos where no life can flourish. And what does God do? God separates the waters from the land, creates light separate from darkness, and then enables life to flourish on that land, eventually creating a garden. And if we read in Genesis chapter 2, the human beings are created out of the dust, right? Not the garden, out of the dust of the earth, and then placed in the garden to tend to it. And when they are kicked out of the garden because they aren't tending to the garden well, and they've devoted themselves to their own wisdom and not to God's wisdom, they find themselves in the wilderness. And then once they're in the wilderness, they devote themselves to the same chaos and disorder that God had created life from. So God, for a second time, steps into chaos and grieves because what God had intended from the first moments of creation was for life to be able to flourish. The only command given to all of life in the book of Genesis up to this point is to be fruitful and multiply. But what have we devoted ourselves to? We have devoted ourselves to cutting life away from one another. Division, discord, subtraction, violence only. And into this chaos, God allows that chaos to take hold. 
grieving. God's able to find one family that's devoted themselves to something other than just destruction. And he warns them that all the waters that God had separated, creating these different plains of earth and land and waters below and waters above, all of those are going away. And the chaos that humanity insists on devoting itself to will be made real. I realize that doesn't fix the problem of violence here. But what happens? God steps into a moment in time where nothing was known but chaos. And so God releases the waters that have been held back to flood from below, to flood from above. And we begin creation again. chaotic waters of the deep. You see what's happening there? Like, this, it's really important to say it really explicitly. This is a return to Genesis 1. But not the same kind of return that would have existed in other mythologies around the time that this was being written, where God hated the people because of their uh, knack for killing one another and being generally annoying, which is honestly how it is written in some of the Babylonian creation stories. Humanity is described as annoying to God. And out of that annoyance, God destroys all of humanity, right? Like, that's a different thing. That existed in Babylon around the same time these stories would have been told around fires of the faithful people devoted to Yahweh. But Yahweh is different. Our God is different. And that God had no desire to destroy everything, God simply desired a fresh start. And that fresh start comes with the same destruction that the people had already been devoting themselves to. Chaotic, unruly destruction. And so God releases the waters. God allows a span of time. This is an interesting tidbit, but Noah's name, interestingly enough, means rest. So it's a resting point, a pause for creation, right? It's a, it's a pause, pump the brakes, restart, refresh. Noah is the last word, the last day of creation where God pauses. And for 40 days and 40 nights, those waters create the capacity for something new to start. So out of that chaos, God steps in again, and we see Noah become an agent of his own well-being to some extent. He sends birds out, right, which were the first animals created. The birds and the fish sent out over the land. One of them comes back with a sprig from an olive tree. The plants are beginning to grow once again on creation. They make their way to land, and what's the first thing that Noah does? The first thing he does 
is he makes a sacrifice. Do you, the difference between before and after is immense. Humanity before the flood devoted to killing one another. That's no sacrifice to me. That's killing you for my sake. My whole interest is about myself. Whereas Noah, after the flood, first commitment is to sacrifice some comfort for the well-being of the rest of creation. Do you see what's happening here? And that fragrant sacrifice is what brings God to say that one promise that has never been broken, never again will this destruction come upon the earth. It's out of sacrifice from humanity to be a part of a larger story in which we aren't devoted to killing one another, that God decides, that God sees that there's something here that's not just bad. And out of that not just bad, the rest of life is able to flourish. And we see ups and downs in humanities through the rest of history. And Lord knows we make lots of mistakes. But one of the beautiful parts of this story is that humanity is no more, never again, defined by its capacity for mistakes. Instead, humanity is defined by our capacity to sacrifice for the well-being of others. To lose sleep as we care for a child learning how to live in the rhythm of rest and wakefulness. To eat cold food because we need to serve others at the table first. To be okay with enough because there are others who live at our sides who don't have it. Noah becomes the first who understands that. In order for life to flourish, we need, in many cases, to, to sacrifice what we have so that life can flourish, so that we can live into that first command of all creation to be fruitful and to multiply and to become a blessing for the rest of the world so that nothing but life may flourish. Noah becomes that symbol. And he's not perfect. You may remember that, like, next chapter, (laughs) Noah gets drunk and hungover and then curses one of his kids, right? Like, there's no perfect here. But that's the story. We're not perfect, but we're learning to, to love one another, learning to care for one another, learning to enable creation to thrive, and learning to enable our friends and our enemies alike to be able to survive in this world that is so painful and so difficult if we try to do it alone. And so the Noah story is terrifying and is horrific. And it is a very difficult passage for us to wrap our heads around. And I know that I have not corrected or fixed any of this for any of you. And in some ways, I'm sorry about that. But also, it's the Bible and it's complicated. If you're not used to it already, you will become used to the cognitive dissonance that exists. Because at the end of the day... Our Bible is written by people who love and adore God, who are trying to learn how to live faithfully, 
trying to notice where God is calling community and life to thrive. And one of the reasons a story like this shows up in our Bible is because it teaches us something about the heart of God. That our God is a God who grieves when violence takes hold of society. That our God is a God who wants for life to flourish, for your life to flourish. Our God is a God who looks favorably, not on the climbing ladder of success, but on the intentional sacrifice to enable the well-being of our neighbors, or of the animals that live in our midst. We learn something so important here. And so as people of faith, what it means to read this passage and so many others is to take a step back, acknowledge, as is always the case, that I am not, in fact, God, but I am a part of God's story. And as a part of God's story, my only role here is to make a pleasing sacrifice fit for the well-being of my neighbors. And so I invite you to live sacrificially in a way that doesn't rob you of your own identity and well-being, but in a way that allows you to thrive beside the others around you, in a way that they may thrive, so that all of us together might live into that sacred command of fruitfulness, of grace, of compassion, of joy that goes beyond all of our understanding. That is what it means to live faithfully in this season. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.